This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 3 in our series on Ronald D. Moore as a showrunner, looking at his second show, Carnival. So, Roswell ended in 2002, May of 2002, I, I believe. And Carnival started up in, I believe, September of 2003. So there was a full season of television which did not have uh, Ron Moore in it. But I don't think that that should suggest that he wasn't doing anything during that time period. I think probably what he was doing during that year was developing Battlestar Galactica. But we will get to Battlestar Galactica next week. This week, we're going to talk about Carnival. The show was created not by Moore, but by Daniel Knopf, who was a screenwriter who had basically been working on this idea for um, over a decade. Yeah, he had had one gig at one point. He sold one project. He had done a few things before Carnival aired, but Carnival, I think, was the first uh, story that he had written. He wrote it originally as a a movie, but it was 180 pages long, you know, which would translate to about three hours. And he he cut it down to fewer pages, but it was still... Then it was ridiculously fast. Yeah, I mean, I think what I read was that he, he... basically realized that there was no way that he could fit it into a movie. Well, I mean, it took him a bunch of years to figure that out, and in those those years he did rewrite it a number of times. Mm -hmm. So then he took Act 1 of the movie and turned that into a pilot, and uh, it caught the attention of HBO, finally, and they realized that it was a show which could potentially have a long life, and they decided to buy the show from him. He was How- one of the earlier bloggers in the in the internet world. Yeah. He was doing it before it was really a thing. And that was actually how HBO got a hold of the script for Carnival. Yeah, he put up the first uh act on his uh on his website in yeah. in an attempt to generate some some work. So HBO decided to make the show but they also decided that Knopf was not experienced enough to run it himself. And he agreed with them. Did he agree with them? Okay, that's interesting. I wasn't sure about that. He stayed on as a writer, but the series itself was run by Ronald D. Moore. Yeah, because he had had some... Well, he didn't have a ton of experience, but he had more experience than Knopf. Sure. And he, he was had- at least... He had experience with running a room. Right. He had done that on for two seasons on Roswell, yeah. at least with, with someone else. And then, of course, he also had a lot of experience uh, writing television and science fiction stuff. You know, not that this is science fiction, but it is fantasy. So they brought on Ron Moore to, to be the showrunner for, for season one. 
Um, after season one, Moore left to work on Battlestar Galactica, and then the show was given back to Knopf, who ran season two himself. Yeah. And then after season two, the show was canceled. The show is about uh, a, a guy, a young fugitive named Ben, who's played by Nick Stahl, who joins a traveling carnival during the Great Depression. So he has uh, magical powers which allow him to heal the sick, but he's kind of afraid to use them. Then there's a parallel story about a Methodist preacher named Justin, who's played by Clancy Brown, who also has powers which he uses for what he believes is God's will, but his powers seem to be evil in nature. His powers are not really well defined. They're very nebulous. They sort of fluctuate in terms of what he's actually capable of doing. Ben Hawkins' ability isn't healing. It's it's essentially just like moving life around. Yeah. That's all he can really do. He can't heal the sick without killing something. Well, yeah, he can't heal them without killing something, but so, they are healing So the idea powers. that like Someone's the preacher's healed. But the idea that the preacher's powers are evil, that's crazy. His powers seem much more benign than Ben's powers. Ben has the ability to choose who lives and who dies. Perhaps perhaps <laughs> the 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 uh the powers are not evil, but um the results end up being rather evil. So uh, we didn't really see him uh, many results. I mean, the show didn't go long enough for us to see how this plays out. I mean, I think that the problem of the show is that like the the preacher is established as kind of a jerk. Mhm. But his 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 evil seems to be tempered by a, a desire to not be evil. Well, it's not a straightforward narrative by any stretch of the imagination, but I think uh, the intention was that one of them was uh, on the side of good and one of them was on the side of evil, and they didn't even necessarily know which was which, but they were, I mean, they say it in, in the last episode of season one, you know, avatars for... God and the devil. Um, except that there are more than two avatars. Okay. Well, well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, but, but these, at least in terms of this story, these are the key players. And yes. one of them is on one side and one of them is on the other and neither of them know it. But they are both actually, in fact, most of the characters in the show are essentially fighting the show's premise. Like they, they are, they are, they are all given a situation and a context, and from the first episode until the last episode, they are trying their best to not follow through on that premise. Ben is trying to not be a healer guy or a messiah. Uh, um, uh, the preacher is trying really hard to be a good guy and just help individuals in the community. Everyone's trying to do. The exact opposite of what the show is pushing them to do, which is a really interesting concept, and I think the primary reason the show was canceled. The two it's very frustrating watching characters not taking part in the show. Yeah, well, the two characters seem to be on a collision course, which will result in a war between heaven and hell on Earth, and uh, that. That's basically what the show is built on. Now, there's no clear evidence of heaven or hell in this. 
There's no clear evidence, but there is definitely a substantial amount of circumstantial evidence. Except there's the word avatar, and that's a that's a Hindu term. I mean, like they're 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 playing with with supernatural forces, and characters will reference Christian uh, dogma and, and 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 mysticism and philosophy, but they are also dealing with essentially general supernatural metaphysical concepts that are not limited to Christianity. So implying that there's a heaven and a hell in this, I think, is limiting because the show very clearly states that they are not playing by any simple rule book. Okay, maybe heaven and hell was a simplistic term, you know, good and evil. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Carnival, specifically season one, I guess? I watched the show as it aired. I um, I was I was into it while it was happening. I was really frustrated by it almost every time it aired an episode. For the first season, I was waiting for something to happen. And uh, at a certain point in, towards the end of the first season, I was thinking... I don't know if this show is going anywhere because there were a lot, because it essentially spends the entire first season talking about eventually we'll be going somewhere and they don't get very far in that direction. In season two, things go faster and then they accelerate to an absurd rate towards the end because they lost a bunch of episodes in that run. But in season one, it felt like I was reading an incredibly long novel that might not even have an ending. And it turned out to be more or less the case. Uh, apparently, um, Knopf considered the like this large story to be consisting of books, and the first two seasons would be book one. So we got book one in a planned trilogy of books, and uh, that's about as frustrating as you can get. But there's another part of me that finds that frustration totally acceptable and totally reasonable and and I, I'm very happy about that because there is no excuse for an entire medium being limited to things that a whole bunch of people will be excited to watch all the time. I, I lament the idea that people have to be entertained by a TV show in order for that TV show to exist. Uh, I really wish that we could have things that were not immediately gratifying and maybe things that aren't gratifying at all. And, uh, and it makes me feel kind of sad that something that was even pretty cool, like Carnival, didn't get a chance to go as far as it should have. But HBO did give it a good shot. It's just really tragic that we can't have nice things. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Um, I, I think the concept of, of having the, the three books, you know, in each uh, two seasons being one book was, was interesting. And while I guess I'm glad that they were able to finish the first book, I, I kind of uh, am very disappointed that they, they weren't able to uh, round it out with the other two. Um, as far as the show itself is concerned, you know, I've only seen season one and I did like it. Um, it is very slow moving, like you're saying, and um, I mean, I, ever since the X Files, I guess I've been sort of um, skeptical of shows like this, where you know they keep on asking questions and asking questions, and then when you're not getting any answers, it becomes frustrating because you start thinking that you may never get answers. And um, th the idea that they did have a plan for this was interesting. The thing that I kept on thinking, knowing what the proposed format was was, you know, maybe considering 
how slow they're they're going with this, maybe it would have made more sense for them to make it a three season thing, which each with each season being one book. But um, then it might even be more infuriating if they got canceled after season two. It could, yeah, it could have been. Um, but it, it is sometimes frustratingly slow. But I think that uh, if you're not sort of looking at that finish line and you're just enjoying the, the ride that they take you on, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a very enjoyable ride. You know, I think that the characters were really well-defined and, and uh, very interesting, and, and the, uh, the texture of, of the series on the whole, I think, was great. You know, it does an excellent job of, of fleshing out the world and just seeing kind of how that world operates is uh, compelling enough to, to keep me watching. Um, I liked it a lot more than I, I thought I would because when I first when it first aired, I watched uh, I think probably about the first five or six episodes, and now I, I finished up huh. season one, and um, I, I, I did I did enjoy it. I'm I'm very interested to see where they go with season two, um, especially considering some of the things that I've I've heard about it. They go some weird places. It's a it it is it is a it is a weird show to watch. It's one of the but like there was actually a point when I was watching season two, and this was back around the time I was being incredibly frustrated with the Star Wars prequels. And in the middle of season two, I was like, if they did like an entire season that took place twenty years before these events to explain some of these other characters, I would be totally cool with that because their world was interesting enough to support a weird tangential story like that, that I would have, I would have relished, you know, like just a deeper examination of things in the narrative because while they were going somewhere, they were going somewhere in, you know, a rickety old carnival filled with weirdos. And it was, it was kind of boring at times hanging out in that carnival. And, and, and there are times where I thought like, I would not mind if they left the carnival for a couple episodes and just, dealt with some other random character in this in the story because there was enough stuff going on in there to support a much larger world than they actually had and it's really really sad that not even hbo could keep a show like that going well the fact that I think the show even got made in the first place is is pretty cool, and the fact that uh, HBO was willing to stick with it, and they said they would have even stuck with it for a season three if if the producers could have found a way to get the budget down, but it was an extremely expensive show to produce. Apparently, early on, <laughs> there was buzz that because of the ratings for the first couple episodes, that the show was going to be HBO's new. Golden Goose. Yeah, I think the yeah. the premiere was the highest uh, rated premiere of any HBO show at the time. Yeah, and when it didn't maintain those numbers, they became much less enamored with the show's existence. Yeah, when it turned out to not be as profitable as they thought, they were pretty disappointed. Well, um, Ron Moore, like we said, left uh, in order to do. Battlestar Galactica, and I haven't really been able to find any hard quotes from Moore where he talks about you know his thoughts on the show, but I do remember hearing some commentaries for Battlestar Galactica in which he suggested that 
the production of Carnival was rather tumultuous and that he did not enjoy doing it. Whether or not that meant he liked the show, I don't know. But it certainly seems like he did not enjoy making the show. Have you heard anything about what Moore thinks, or is that pretty much? Uh, I've heard. I've heard. I've, I've never heard Moore specify what was wrong mm-hmm. with working on Carnival. He just called. I, I forget exactly what he said, but like he was, I think, disappointed for one thing that he wasn't able to be there for the production of the Battlestar Galactica miniseries because he had to stay and oversee Carnival. And when he was talking about that, I don't remember the exact quote, but the implication was along the lines of, you know, it was a sinking ship or or there were a lot of fires which needed to be put out on a daily basis, you know. And it sounds like uh, his job on this show was more damage control than anything else. I don't get that. Like, I've heard heard a lot of different stories about the making of Carnival from a lot of different people. I've heard... Daniel Knopf go on and on and on about it. Um, Ron Moore hasn't really talked a lot about working on Carnival. I think primarily because people just had no interest in asking him about it as soon as BSG started. Yeah. Um, but like Daniel Knopf has talked about the writing process and how there were times where he and Ron Moore would 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 argue about things, but it was always like. Ron Moore saying, like, um, I'm running this show, I want to make it good, and Daniel Knopf is like, I understand that, but I'm also trying to make it good, and they would get into arguments about things, and Daniel Knopf was kind of a weird guy. He didn't think, of, he didn't understand the system the way that Ron Moore did. He didn't follow any protocols. He didn't know who he should talk to and who should be in what meeting or any of that. So he made a lot of professional errors, and Ron Moore possibly was doing damage control for Daniel Knopf being kind of bad at the business side of things. I mean, that could be. I mean, Moore is put into an interesting position there, and so is Knopf, in that, you know, this is Knopf's vision. He has, you know, a, a mm-hmm. grand plan, and yet he's not the one steering the ship. So Moore, I'm sure, as a creator himself, as a writer himself, wants to be true to Knopf's vision, but at the same time, he's got a job to do. Well, they both have said positive things about each other. Yeah, I imagine they would. I don't think that they have any problems with each other, but I would not be at all surprised if Ron Moore said that working with Daniel Knopf was horrible because he just doesn't understand the business. Mm -hmm. And that seems totally fine to me, and that actually makes Daniel Knopf seem sweet to me. Well, season two... After Moore left, like we said, they gave the show to Knopf. And to me, that seems like kind of the best of all worlds. You know, Moore gets to go off and do his his baby, his, his project, Battlestar Galactica, while Knopf has now been sort of trained by the best in the biz and is, you know, able to take on the show which he you know, created his baby, you know, kind of that, that thing. And he actually does a pretty good job. He, he managed that show and, uh, and season two actually is, is totally good. It works, works as well as season one. It, I, I, I would be shocked if he did everything as well as Ron Moore, but I would be equally shocked if he didn't do many things better. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a scenario where I think it's a, it's a win for everyone, yeah. you know, and including the audience, uh, although I haven't seen season two. But. Season two is, is totally worth watching. It will make the frustration that you might feel much, much bigger. 
Uh, because like that, that uh, that desperation on the part of the characters to not take part in the show's premise, mm-hmm. it it like reaches its apotheosis literally in season two. So, more leaving to do BSG, I think often to me when I thought of that, it, it kind of spoke to Moore's character as a as a creator and as a person. You know, here he is handed you know a, a an hbo series which i imagine even creatively in the uh in the tv world is kind of like you know a golden egg you know it's like creative freedom a very uh high prestige factor and a rather large audience but then he left that to do a science fiction show on basic cable because that was his passion project. Um, one of the other things that we see here, which I think is kind of interesting as far as Moore's career, is you see him starting to build a team. Now, this is his second show as a showrunner, and you see him taking people from Roswell and bringing them onto Carnival. The big one that stands out is Tony Graffia, who uh, was a writer on Roswell. He brought her on to be a writer on Carnival. And then later on, she would go to write uh, for him on Battlestar Galactica. But there's also some uh, smaller connections. Well, Peter B. Ellis, I guess, is another uh, one which is similar to that. He was an editor on Roswell and would then go on to edit Carnival. From that, That's the last time that he worked with Moore, though, because I think Kadams had the same idea and stole Ellis to work on Friday Night Lights later on. And then even just as far as actors are concerned, like John Doe, who played uh, Sherry Appleby's dad on Roswell, shows up in a couple episodes here. There are also a number of uh, Star Trek people who worked on this show, other Star Trek collaborators. Michael J. Anderson, who plays Samson, is uh, you know one of the main characters on this show, and he was on Deep Space Nine as Rumpelstiltskin, not the best episode in the world, but, you know, what can you do? Also, John <laughs> Fleck uh, was a, a regular on Carnival. He appeared on every uh, modern incarnation of uh, Star Trek TV, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, three times as three different characters, Voyager. And he's probably best known for playing Silic on Enterprise. Also, during season two, so... Uh, he didn't work with Ron Moore, but on season two, one of the writers was Tracy Torme, who was a writer on Next Generation staff during seasons one and two. Yeah, he wrote a number of episodes, including the Big Goodbye. That's kind of weird because I don't think he was even working on the show then. No, I don't think they. Cause, I mean, they never overlapped. Yeah, there are ships that pass in the night. He left by the time Moore came on to Next Gen, and yeah. Moore left by the time Torme came on to Carnival. But I guess Moore was watching the show then, so. You think? I'm oh, yeah. You think yeah. he was watching season two of Carnival? Oh, oh, of Next Gen. Yeah. He was watching Next Gen. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. Was he watching season two of Carnival? I'm sure that Ron Moore has seen season two of Carnival. I'd be I don't think he watched it while it was airing, because at the time, I think he didn't have HBO. Fair enough. So any final thoughts on Carnival? I really wanted this show to work. I really wanted it to, to go on because I, like, despite being incredibly frustrated by it, I was so proud that it existed. I was so proud that such a thing could actually be done. And, like, I don't, 
care about that time period, and I found most of the stories very unpleasant, and I was bored a lot of the time. But I was proud that that kind of thing could be made, that somebody could have a ridiculous idea to do a supernatural, like, fantasy story in the frickin' Dust Bowl with, like, a traveling carnival and a, and a, and a crazy, like, like Coughlin-esque preacher guy. I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll watch it. I'm not, like, going to get excited or anything. You know, I might make a sandwich in the middle of the episode, but so happy that it existed. Um, I, I did like Carnival quite a bit. It, it is a kind of a, a slow-burning show, but once it gets going, I think... Well, it never really gets going, but I think the more well, you... it gets going in season two. Okay. In fact, it goes way too fast towards the end. Okay, but the more the more you watch it, I think the more there is to appreciate. I, I do think it's weird that it's it's very different from, from Moore's other stuff. But uh, I, I do think that it is a, a kind of an interesting signpost on the road to Battlestar Galactica. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that it exists as well. And I would like to see season two. I'm very curious about season two, although I honestly have to say that I don't feel compelled to watch it right away. You know, I wouldn't mind having a little bit of a break. And I'm also very interested to know where it would have gone, and I kind of wish that it would have been able to uh, finish its run. But what can you do? So I would like to see Daniel Nuff um, finish the story in some format. I know that he's talked about the the, the, the intended storylines for the later seasons, but uh, he's talked about like he has he has a past writing like novels, and I would love to see him just like just say screw it. I know that there is a bunch of people who would love this. I'll just write Carnival as a novel. I would buy that novel. I would buy it if even if it was as ridiculously long as it probably would be. I would pick up that like one giant humongous volume as big as a dictionary and I would read it because I I liked that show and I like that that couldn't that kind of thing can exist. Yeah. yeah. And I and I get the impression that he really thinks things through. I mean, season 1, it really does feel like a really intricate novel. It's got so much stuff going on. It's sort of like segmented little episodes, but they're like deep, intricate stuff. I mean, each one has like a really complex story. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on. That would be a great book. So Max, have you listened to Earl Grey? Um, yes. This Earl Grey is hot. I would recommend checking out Earl Grey, which is Trek FM's new next-gen show. I'm sure they're going to be talking about Ron Moore at some point, as, you know, I'm sure they're going to be talking about him on The Orb as well at some point. And there's a million other shows on Trek FM, too. We were just on The Ready Room. Yes. That was fun. Yes. So if you haven't heard any of those shows, take a listen to this and see uh, what you're missing out on. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Aliens of Deep Space Nine. That's a really good question. I honestly never even thought to question the Vorta's idea of their own existence uh, and whether or not it was, you know, just a story. Earl Grey. The 1701D. So correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a little while since I've seen Generations, but is it possible also that before it was used as stellar cartography, it might have been Cerebro? The Ready Room. Homefront in Paradise Lost. See, that's the kind of guy I want to vote for. (laughs) If he says, I don't want to do this, please don't vote for me, that job looks really hard, I'm going to go, 
I like this guy. To the journey. Collective commentary. Right. No. 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 The Borg does okay. not. Uh, they the don't procreate like that. They All have right. to assimilate. Because that that I just thought was strange. Like, okay, so one of the people they assimilated was pregnant, or okay. Commentary. Trek stars. Roswell. And that was what Kadams was going for in season one. He saw it as, as more of a, a metaphor than anything. He didn't really care about the actual science fiction behind it. And he said that he got a note from a network exec which just said, Aliens, aliens, aliens. Warp 5. The Sphere Builders. And, and it is a good concept. I think it, uh, and obviously the reasons it was introduced were, were more because of the studio and wanting that uh, looking forward perspective you know getting ahead of the 24th century trek news and views the watches the watches which also brings into question um, dr crusher because uh, you know pulaski can put a new heart in him but beverly crusher can't even heal an arrow wound literary treks assignment earth comics i kind of liked it in that it picks up from assignment earth the star trek episode where we find out that Gary Seven has been sent there to find out why the two agents who were supposed to be stopping that missile launch can't do it. What happened to them? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. All right, well, that is it for Carnival. We will be back next week to talk about Ron Moore's third show and quite possibly his masterpiece, Battlestar Galactica.